should you decide to accept it? Yeah, I don't know. Where do we want to even start? I have no idea. I, I want to get straight to the meat of it. Tell me, what did you think of Velvet Underground and Nico? Oh, you're just gonna put, get right to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I've, I've listened to this album a thousand times. <laughs> I've probably listened to it with Alonzo five hundred. Yeah. Times. Uh-huh. So like, uh-huh. like Fair. the truth of the matter is. I know what I know what Ryan's oh, thinking. I know what I'm already, thinking. Yeah, you guys. I don't know, know what you're you thinking. Know what you think. <laughs> I guess if I went chronologically, all right. So as we discussed, and as I've not listened to this album before, and in fact, have not really listened to the Velvet Underground. Okay. So. I was coming into this and like the extent of my Velvet Underground like general sense was that I I just got the sense that they were influential for a lot of later rock acts that I liked. So I was like, I think I was coming into it expecting to hear like more rock and then I put it on and I was like, what? Wait, <laughs> do I have the right album? And I had to double check because it's not called Banana. But I was like, but there's a banana on front. This has to be the right one. <laughs> um, so there was the first listen was confusing yeah. just because of my own mis whatever misconceived notions. Although I also feel and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, that maybe there were other Velvet Underground albums that maybe that would have been more true for. Um, that would yeah, have been more I, rock. What, like know? white light, white heat is uh, okay. rocking like rock, I guess. They never did anything like Black Sabbath. Oh yeah, no. But I like, harder. But that's fine. But like, but you do there. have a history with John Cale, right? Like you have with do. Cale. I have. I'm pretty familiar with one of John Cale's albums, which I have dropped a link for the after party. Cool. It was a hard choice. It was a hard choice actually, because that album—it's not everyone's cup of tea, probably. But there's like several on there that I can really jam out to. Yeah, that was like my first thing. I was like, all right, let me just like back up and internet and get myself oriented here to what it is that I'm doing. And then I was like, oh shit, John Cale was in Velvet Underground. And then I was like, okay, now now I'm like properly together. And then the next like three, four, five listens were actually nice in as much as there are some on there that are like misses for me, but there are some that I've like really adopted to at this point. So like most other things, I found my tracks and it was good. I'm okay Sweet. with it now. We're at peace. Good. I have to say though, Nico's yeah, voice, man. Oh man. Nico's voice is not for me. And in a, in a funny moment, funny in hindsight, I was like standing there listening to it. And I was like, I said something to Chris. I was like, what kind of asshole pronounces words like this? Wow. <laughs> and then I found out she was German and I was the asshole. So, you know. Or Germans are assholes for when they speak English. Sure. But, yeah. So, yeah, I guess it must have been confusing to listen to Sunday Morning, which is like track one. And hear what, I don't even know, what is the instrument? The It's not like a xylophone. It's just whatever. The Yeah. Whatever that, whatever that kind of, whatever the percussive instrument is at the beginning, and just what the fuck, like this is like the thing that it was influenced all these bands and all these people came out of it, and I, I'm sure that was probably highly confusing. Yeah, it, for but it was short lived. I found my footing, and I'm actually pretty tight with Sunday Morning right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I don't know, like Sunday Morning's a great track once you've oriented to what you're listening yeah. to it's a really good song 
Yeah, uh, yeah, for I, sure. I, 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 was, I was humming it this morning when I went, we went to early vote today, and I was humming it when I was early voting, nice. so there you go. Nice. Yeah, there's a lot of drone notes on this album. I don't know always what they're doing it with, but there's a lot of songs that just have this drone in the background that stays, and heroin's one of those songs, like... Yeah, it just it, they, they uh, has some interesting choices. It might be John Kale's viola, perhaps. Y- yeah, Could be. or not. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like Venus and Furs, right? It's a lot of the same stuff. So there's an interesting yeah. thing I put in the link of the show notes. It's the link to the ostrich guitar, <laughs> and so basically the way I think the way that Lou Reed and John Kale got to got to be friendlier. I uh, got to know each other is that like when Lou Reed graduated from Syracuse he went he moved to New York and he was like worked for a music label as a songwriter and he got paired with he got paired with John Cale randomly and one of the things that they uh, noticed was like so Lou Reed had written a song called The Ostrich that's like a parody of all these other songs at the, that were popular at the time and to play those all the songs, he actually tuned. He actually got a guitar and he tuned all the strings to the same note. And so, like, after when after that, like, basically John Cale was like, okay, because he was super into Eastern like drone stuff and like experimental stuff, like John Cage and all this stuff. And so, like, he saw that and he was like, okay, this guy has the same like spirit of like weird alternate tunings and weird influences and stuff like that. So, yeah, they have a weird... There's many songs on here that have a really weird sound, especially for 1967. Yeah. The... Like, this song, Heroin, like, the way that it just speeds up and slows down and goes in intensity, and you hear this background sustained viola note, right? It's a handful of Western musicians, I think... We're trying to do stuff like this, and basically it was them and like the Beatles were the only pop groups or whatever you want to call close to pop groups that tried to do stuff like this. So it was like really, I think to me it's just it's a it's a just a weird combination of things that were going on in the like fringes of like popular music, and it was like a perfect sort of like you can tell like he loves like R&B, you can tell he loves like garage rock. You can tell he loves like love songs and pop songs. You can tell he loves like experimental European Sun. Like basically all of European Sun is just whacked out, crazy ass like jamming, yeah. dissonant jamming, and it works. That's the thing. Really it's just, like very diverse, very a lot of different things going on. It but just none of it feels weird or, or wrong or crazy to me. It all just kind of I mean, works. Yeah, it feels like they create this space where there's not really a weird or wrong. There's really just like variations of like melodic comfort. It's not always super approachable, but yeah, it gets there if you give it space. So the first time I ever listened to this record was my freshman year in college. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people that are in the same boat. There's no way in hell that I'd ever listened, would have ever had the chance to listen to these guys in where we grew up, right? In West Virginia. 
It just wasn't going to happen. Now, I had listened to a Lou Reed song. Multiple mm-hmm. Lou Reed songs, right? Walk on the Wild Side. <clears throat> it's something that I'd heard. I and think then, I got my hands on this when we were in high school. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, don't, if you did, then I didn't borrow it for whatever reason. It wasn't in heavy rotation, but I think I had... I think I had, I don't know if I had a copy of this, but I think I had a couple tracks from it. I also had, I had, I had listened to Perfect Day, which is a Lou Reed song that was on the Train Spotting soundtrack. But that's it. And so I didn't really know anything about these guys. Um, just a friend of mine that lived in the dorm room next to me would play this sometimes. And it just started to grow on me. Like I didn't really have anything any sort of preconceived notions. At some point I was like, what is this? This is cool. And yeah, basically after that, I think also I was probably, when I realized what it was, like I was probably a little bit prejudiced against it because it was held in such high regard by (laughs) basically whatever your proto hipsters in like the small liberal arts college I went to. And those people sucked. And like the logic is like that if those people suck, then the music they really love must suck. But it turns out that most of that stuff is actually really fucking cool. And like they're just lucky to have been around it. But anyway, so listening to it, it just expanded my mind. Okay, another thing, not not to monologue too much. My, my dad, when I was growing up, I remember my dad saying stuff like about music. Like he would say, I really love that you can, it's really clear that you can, you, this music, like you can hear all the instruments and it's really clear and the sound is really good. Like my dad was really into that. Like this idea of the sound needs to be really good so you can hear all the pieces. And I, I feel like for a long time, like that was like a kind of bit of ideology about music that I had in my brain that I didn't really question probably until I got to college. Because this stuff, most of these songs sound like shit. They were mixed poorly or just like they're all over the place. Yeah, their studio time really, like everything was really either mic'd poorly or mixed incredibly poorly. And so so to me, this is like the birth of whatever, lo-fi or whatever, or just the idea that like, and the idea that like the punks and all these other people like, took with them, which is, nah, it's not really about that. Even if you record poorly, if the song is good or interesting, or you get a sound or you get a feeling, that's like the thing that matters. Like the other stuff is, it's maybe nice if you can get it and it doesn't really affect much at all. And some of the gnarliest sounding songs on this record are some of my favorites. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is definitely a play. This is an album that really got me comfortable with dissonance early. Like, things that I didn't like on my first listen, like, I definitely came back to really appreciate some of the weirder tracks on this, for sure. I think another thing for me, too, is like, man, on the, whatever you want to call them, like, drug songs, of which there are many. Okay, never done heroin. But I smoked opium, and so one thing that was interesting to me is that the song Heroin, like, it just, it's so per, it, like, the like he's, when he's just, and I feel like I just don't know. It just kind of 
fade. It just like evaporates. And it's just, it's, it's the way that like sometimes when high people are trying to explain how they're high, it's like the way that like a high person might try to explain. Like I feel like I, I just don't know. And, and I feel like that's, man, obviously he was mixed up in all that shit, but I feel like he just nails like what that feeling is. And then the song, I'm waiting for the man about scoring. Again, I haven't really, <laughs> I haven't gone to that insane extent, but definitely in my doing drugs years, I've heard people say, and I feel like this might be true, that sometimes like the sort of adventure of trying to score is like the, <laughs> is like actually way better than the actually getting high. Or like way more interesting or way more fun than the actually getting high. And Interesting. I feel like he nails that too. It, there are people out there who had to do like a Harold and Kumar go to White Castle <laughs> to get their shit, which is right. I guess, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's the journey, Jenny. It's the right. journey. Well, I mean, when you live in Morgantown, it's like never quite that hard. <laughs> yeah, it's not so much. Yeah, and just this idea of because yeah, New York back then. Not back then, not just back then. Well, now New York is just basically trust fund central. And unless you live in Staten Island, you, you, you need a, a serious chunk of change to live out there. It was very segregated, right? North, and, and even in Manhattan, there were white people parts of Manhattan, and there were black people, Puerto Rican people parts of Manhattan. And like, you, you, people stayed in their areas. And so that whole, like, I'm waiting for the man going uptown to 125th in Lexington, that's Harlem, to score. And like people are looking around because like they think that you're trying to get a prostitute, or you're trying to you're trying to get a whore, which is like what it's like. White people there are either trying to score drugs or they're trying to get, you know, <laughs> trying to get sex. Is it they're there for some sort of illicit purpose? And I just feel yeah, like man, that he just... part was honestly funny because he was just like, no, I'm not here after your ladies, guys. It's fine. I'm just trying to get, <laughs> get drugs. And just the yeah, just that whole feeling. And again, like I've only spent some time in the fringes of that stuff, thankfully, but that it just just nails that feeling, the feeling of like desperation, the feeling of just everything is like crazy, you can't, and then everything is like in pursuit of this one thing. And then it's just every day is the same. It's the same thing. You do the same crazy shit every single day and you get nowhere, right? Like you're not building to anything. You just like kind of keep repeating. Yeah, I just deeply feel feel all that stuff and I think it's because he went through all that stuff there's no other explanation let me see here what else I think the love songs on here are beautiful I'll be your mirror to me is like an yeah. all time like beautiful song I, I don't even know what to do with that song the, it's just and it's also like really distinct from the other songs on here even the whatever the love songs is love songs like it's just, it's just love. It's just like, you don't like yourself, but I do. Like, I'm going to show you how awesome you are. I'm going to show you, like, I, I don't know. That's, it's just, it's like very pure. It's like a hug. It yeah. is. It really is. And, okay, you said Nico and her voice. I remember when I was like, when I met Katie and we would talk about this record and stuff like that. She also never liked Nico's voice. And I think her thing with Nico's voice is like, it was too like feminine, weakly sort of feminine, like kind of sappy feminine. And like, 
she's never really liked those kinds of voices in music. Like she wants, she likes more like kind of gruff or just not that whole like female playing sort of victim voice or whatever. Yeah. I wonder if that has anything to do with it for you, Jenny. The first thing that really got my goat about it was her pronunciation before I realized that wasn't her fault. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, that's totally not her fault. But I think the, I don't know if it's that so much because, mm. do you guys know who Sandy Denny is? Are you familiar with Fairport Convention? Yeah, but I'm not, uh, yeah, it's, so she's the yeah. singer. Yeah, she strikes me as like somebody who's who I would put maybe in the same who might be like Nico adjacent possibly in that same general space of female vocals. But hers is fine. I don't think it's like the the feminineness of it or like the the weakness of it that gets me. I think it's mm -hmm. the I think it's just the voice itself. I, it feels mean to say, but I think the times when I'm I'm not into her voice it's because it's like she's very nasal and pouty and it's more kind of a pout talk at times Rachel it does it, um, it is true that she talks her singing yeah if that's yeah, a yeah. thing like I'll be your like don't get me wrong I really enjoy the songs that she sings on on the album but like yeah she's just a little kind of pouty yeah also I feel like some of it can be chalked up to the fact that she's not a native because I speak a little bit of German and so yeah. I get it but I, I don't think it's a hundred percent her fault but I think it does some weird things to the way that she you know sings English perhaps. She, yeah. so that was Warhol's idea her inclusion in the band was Warhol's idea because it was it was uh, Lurie, John Cale, Starling Morrison and Maureen Tucker and then they basically Warhol they were playing clubs and things and Warhol discovered them and then Warhol set them up in in the factory and like they would do weird shows and experimental this and that or whatever and when they were going to record a record Warhol was totally like hey I know this singer German singer you guys need some of that basically is what he said so it was like it was his idea and then when the record was like a huge flop, which, by the way, it was a huge flop. It, in in 2020, if it, your record sells 30,000 copies, it's like a, an amazing success. Like, you could probably tour little clubs and stuff like that. But back then, like, when there was like a handful of record labels and stuff like that, like selling 30,000 records was like a disaster. So so when that happened, Lou Reed basically fired War Warhol and Nico. Just like, bye-bye. And then he went with a different producer that kind of took him in a little more of a pop direction. So if like you listen to the self-titled Velvet Underground record, I think from 1970, it's got a very different sound. If you listen to Loaded, the fourth record, it's also got a completely different sound. But I really, I really like her voice and it's funny because Lou Reed has performed all these songs that she sings on with him. And Lou Reed has a very distinctive style of singing, which I appreciate. But it's pretty flat and pretty monotone. And I don't know that I'll Be Your Mirror can be the same. Or I don't know that... 
I don't know that all tomorrow's parties can really be the same with his voice. Like, I, I feel like she does bring something to those songs. He's like... Wait, he, he's singing on Sunday morning, right? Is he he's singing on Sunday morning. morning. He sings on... So he sings on... Okay, so Nico sings on Femme Fatale, I'll Be Your Mirror, All Tomorrow's Parties, and then she does background vocals on Sunday morning. I actually had to, like, think about it because Sunday morning he actually sounds nice on, and I don't... I'm not a huge fan of Lou Reed's vocals, and I'm yeah. trying to remember which... It might have been that one that had Wild Side on it, how he does... He does... I think of it like the the Dylan style, where it's, like, less more of a, a singing endeavor and more just, like, a... A kind of talking through it, maybe. I don't know. I don't know yeah, if that's yeah, like yeah. explaining it very well. No, yeah, I think that's it's so it Leonard was, Leonard Cohen. There's a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like other singers that sing. So that I way. actually, it was a pleasant surprise to hear him that way on Sunday morning. I was like, oh, that's cool. Assuming that was him, which you've now confirmed, I was like, nice. He can do that. That's cool. Yeah, he's he is capable. I think he just doesn't like it <laughs> it doesn't sure, like it his yeah. like his like kind of default is it's pretty like flat think, talking monotone thing yeah but, he but was, i think he also and this band even like their kind of whole thing was to do something different at least from the little bit that i read so that makes sense okay. i mean so he okay so he was he's got a really weird backstory or interesting backstory at least so he he went to syracuse to study poetry and so I think that's where he got introduced to that's where he got introduced to Sterling Morrison. And so the interesting thing about all that is that yeah, he his kind of concept was I love like all these crazy ass like poets and writers from like the fifties and sixties, like Burroughs and stuff like that. I love all these guys, like why can't this kind of stuff be on top of rock and roll? It should be on top of rock and roll. That was kind of the, I think, his premise, at least. And so, like, he comes, I think he was reading poetry. That was, like, a thing he did, like, for a long time. I think he probably came at it a little bit more from that. Although, apparently I was reading on, online, he was in a doo-wop group when he was in high school. Which, again, can you imagine that? Yeah, I can't imagine what his voice sounds like. There's a picture of him. There's a picture of him. I think it might even be in the Wikipedia article. There's a picture of him where he has a doo-wop style suit in high school. It's pretty freaking hilarious. Let's see if I can pull it up. But, but yeah, so yeah, he came at it, I feel like, from that perspective. And, and I don't know, I agree. I'm, not, I'm actually less interested in Lou Reed solo stuff in general. I think he's got some cool things, but like it in general doesn't move me the way like these records do because I feel like it's like I said it's like a combination of things. He brought this thing to it, which is this like really gritty, raw like lyrics and song ideas that just weren't on the radio or. <laughs> so he brought all that, and then, but then Nico brought this kind of like angelic type of singing, and then. Kale brought this the sort of avant-garde stuff and yeah so like to me like that mix and really that mix is only present for this record and White Light White Heat because then like record three and record four like self-titled and loaded John Kale's out of the picture and it's Doug Yule 
And there are songs, don't get me wrong, there are a bunch of songs on Loaded that I really love, but it's a different sound. It's like a 70s pop sort of sound, if, if that makes any sense. So to me, like, then that's, that's the thing you were saying, Ryan, last time. You were, you were like, oh, that's interesting that you're picking this record rather than other ones from their catalog to, to do. And for me, this is the defining one to me. This is the one that set the table. Yeah, it's also, it's also the one that's maybe, like, hardest to cut down to an EP. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I think the others are interesting in that, like, I'm less familiar with them, and it's less one song after the other that I really like. Yeah. So I think that the act of cutting down the other albums is a little bit more interesting to me, because it can provide some perspective that I think I need. Especially for White Heat, I don't really have much perspective on that album at all. Yeah. Whereas Did, this one, you could play these songs backwards and I could probably <laughs> tell you like, exactly right. what it was. So what did you guys fact, think? on Halloween, you should play these songs backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'll be like it'll be like a dare like commercial like that we'll actually end up playing. We'll, <laughs> we'll end up summoning Lou Reed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forget what I was. Maybe it was this album I was talking to Aubrey about. Yeah, I should really do something weird and play it backwards and play it forwards and layer them on top of each other and really just get strange with it. <laughs> what do you guys think of Venus in Furs? It's, it's, it's like Madagascar fed through Appalachia. Like, <laughs> there's these weird, like... Oh, that's good. Like, like, when the chorus comes around, it's very, like, kind of Appalachian folk. But, like, through the verse, it's great. Like, the, the violin, that, like, scrape of the violin bow through this song is so... I don't know, it's such a cool sound to work in. Something that's very dissonant that like just kinda lay layers a really nice background. This is like one of my favorite songs for sure. Yeah, I noticed I was in this one, this one actually I think if you like this, then I think Gorky's Zygotic Monkey I think really took this and ran with it a bit mm -hmm. for certain aspects of their career because they had Megan was pretty much all not always but a most of the time violin player and she worked a lot of this kind of stuff into her things too so it was like I can see where this was probably an influence for that uh, that kind of thing anyway so there's, there's some this guy Eric Kirst Kirsten who wrote this uh, essay Venus and Furs by the Velvet Underground and this is what he says about it. There is no intro or build-up to the song. The track starts as if you open the door to a decadent Marrakesh S&M slash opium den. A blast of air-conditioned Middle Eastern menace with a plotting beat that's the missing link between Bolero and Led Zeppelin's version of When the Levee Breaks. Yeah, I, I can see pieces <laughs> of that. Like, it's a very S&M song. Very, yeah. Decadent. I when, when breaks. I see that in Decadent Marrakesh Opium Den, I totally feel. Like, 100%. For sure. And, and see, this is the thing that's confusing about this shit to me. Because, okay, the song is named after a book, also called Venus and Furs, by a guy named Leopold von Sacher. Masoch, I guess where masochism comes from. And it is about, let's see here. I've never read this thing. So... 
There are books about weird sex things from long ago. Most of them are like basically like impossible to read or not really worth your time. And like more kind of novelties, right? Oh, that was the first book that talked about whatever. I would, with some exceptions, I would say like the 120 Days of Sodom, the Marquis de Sade, that's actually really fun and crazy to read. I can't fucking believe someone wrote that shit in the 1700 whatever the fuck, but yeah. Anyway, okay, so it's about, like, a, a mistress and dominatrix that, yeah, it's basically about, yeah, and it's Se- Severin, right? It's a, Severin's the guy, <laughs> and he becomes, like, so infatuated with this woman, and he's, he gets off of being humiliated by her, beaten and forced to beg, and I don't know. And, and again, so the lyrics have mentioned Severin and, like, all this stuff, right? Like... I love this song, like, unmitigated, but to me, like, the dis- the difference between... It feels like the Marrakesh Opium Den. You don't go to the Marrakesh Opium Den to get the shit beaten out of you. At least, not me. <laughs> I feel like it's a different vibe. But, I don't know, man. I'm not in the S&M scene, so maybe I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about. But, at least for me, chilling out smoking opium and getting the shit beaten out of you and humiliated is is not doing those in tandem thoughts (laughs) (laughs) no it it seems like a bad combo frankly (laughs) and and on that note i can think of few things i would like to pair with getting the shit kicked out of me i'd like to avoid that frankly (laughs) well you know to be fair sure i guess if you do have to get the shit kicked out of you maybe that is a good time compared to other times also also, if you're getting the shit kicked out of you, you probably should have established a safe word first. Right? <laughs> like, like, I don't think the goal is getting the shit kicked out of you. I think I don't, I don't think they had safe words back then. I don't think they had safe words, safe spaces, or any of that. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the safe word and the the S and A they came together hand in hand. Like, <laughs> inevitably, if you start playing in that that realm cross a line somewhere and somebody's gonna stop you and be like whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute wait, i didn't sign off for this hold on so i don't think we can have one without the other really i guess i don't really know anything about this about that stuff i really don't and i wish i could speak more to it I, and honestly it seems like interesting but just it, it ain't my shit and and actually probably more than that fundamentally i don't get it like just, I think I'm with you, Jenny. Like I just fundamentally don't understand that. But I don't want to kink shame or whatever. It's all good. People should do what they like. But it's just like one of those points of like where, okay, I love the song, and I love that it's like really being transgressive and like doing some weird things. I love the sound. I love the droning. I love you know all that stuff. This is not something I can like vibe with. Like, not something I can hook on to, necessarily. But how many, like, songs on a record that was, like, a real release by a record company, like, from the 60s, are about, <laughs> are about some weird, like, basically porno novel from, like, the 19th yeah, century? Yeah, I think the only other band from the time frame I can think that would be doing anything like that are the Fugs. And yeah. I don't think they really did anything on a major record label. Right, yeah, 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 good point. Yeah, and yeah, and Fugs, I think, were in this like kind of small circle of weirdness 
from back then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it, it, it's the underground of that time. Like this, this stuff didn't exist in, in main, mainstream culture there. So this song, "Run, Run," this song, I pl- I played when my daughter was like a little girl, like very little, like all the time, and she, she liked it. Like I, I randomly played it. And she was like, because it's like easy to say the chorus, right? And uh, so like, I remember when I first took her to like preschool, I remember it was like, we got to the parking lot of her preschool and like, it was raining. And I just remember it was like, we got out of the car and she was like, and we ran, we got the hell out of it. And it, so it has like a special place. So even though that has nothing to do with what the song's about or... And, and this is like a montage almost, like of like different fucked up situations with drug addicts and fuck ups. So, like, I gotta like this record. It's about fuck ups, man. <laughs> it's like the same way for me with Steely Dan's. Like, the song is, this record is about fuck ups and outcasts and weirdos. I'm definitely naturally attracted to that. No doubt. What'd you guys one think of, the of this one? One thing that surprised me was that I heard a couple, and this is one of them, mm-hmm. maybe, I think there were maybe two free max or maybe just two blues songs, and I was wondering if your blues prohibition, well, <laughs> clearly doesn't apply <laughs> to this one. But has there ever been a blues song like that? What we just yeah. heard, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean... George Thurgood's One Bourbon, One Shot, One Beer is pretty similar to that. Right, but up, up to that point. Point. Do you know um, what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, content-wise, this is a diff- very different thing. Oh, yeah, probably. I'm not going to pretend to have a, a finger on the pulse of all blues lyrics everywhere That's true. by any means, but I, you're probably. I think that seems like a fair assumption. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, man, Nico's voice here. It's not. I, I hate this song, and I'm upset about this song because there is actually a music festival called All Tomorrow's Party, yeah. and I never knew that this is where it came from. Yeah, yeah. And I was, oh, and I wanted to like it because of the namesake. And, I was, and it's on, what, is, it pro- is, it pronunci- is it the pronunciation? It's just that she's like, oh, I can't. <laughs> something about that, I, I just can't. I can't. Yeah, it's she's... not her fault. I'm not trying to voice shame. I just don't enjoy it. That's all. That's okay. Yeah, she's deep in her contralto range for this song. I think her voice is deeper in this song than any other than song. Than any other song, for sure. And it's also much more talky than the other songs. Yeah, I don't know. But this is my, my free bird. So I think what's... Yeah, what's interesting... So this song is really about all the parties that were going on at the factory... So do you guys know much about Warhol and the factory and all that? Yeah, a little bit. I never got a chance to go. I've, all the times I've been to Pittsburgh, I never made my way to the factory. I don't think we've... I'll have to ask Chris if we've been, actually. We might have been. I don't remember. So, we went to somewhere where that had either a part of that installation in it. Yeah. Maybe Carnegie, I think, but it wasn't the whole thing. I think it's. I think it is associated with... One of, like another museum that's in that area. Like, I think I don't know if Carnegie is it at this point, but I know that it's tied into another piece there. So there was a great Warhol exhibit that I think traveled for many years, and I saw it in San Francisco at the San Francisco MoMA. I guess it would have been, yeah, last year, like last summer, because I was traveling for work, and it was like it was awesome. I'd never seen any of that stuff like 
uh, up close and the way they set up the whole exhibit was really cool and so I got to see all that I got to learn a lot about the factory and how all that stuff worked and it, it was like I'd like to think that if I was around back then and like I knew what was up that I would try to figure out a way to get there <laughs> to go there because I feel like that was like the I don't know it was like the height of, you could argue it's like the height of pretension, but a lot of really cool stuff came out of that. A lot of interesting music, a lot of amazing art, movies. They made these like, basically, they made the first, they made the first movie, I can't remember what it's called, it's called Blue something. I don't know, Ryan, maybe you can look it up, but it's the first movie with unsimulated sex in it that got a major distribution in the United States. Yeah, I forget what that's called. <laughs> Camera blew something earlier. And I think he had a very, yeah, he just had a very interesting sort of click of just bizarre people. Like, I think it's just Blue Movie. Blue Movie, okay, there you go. Yeah, 1969, <laughs> Blue Movie. Yeah. 69. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and wasn't Chelsea Girls? I guess that was a little bit before this. But Warhol was still part of the Chelsea Girls movie, which came out in 66, which was... Which also, Nico, which Nico did the soundtrack to, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, and there's just so there were a lot of hanger-ons and people that were associated with the scene, that all came out of that scene. I don't know. That it was cool. It was cool. Like it was cool. <laughs> it was it was different, right? Like yeah. it was a, an interesting counterculture, and it was an interesting place for it to come out of, right? Pittsburgh is such a crazy town for that. And I think at this time, yeah, but this time the factory and all that stuff was in New York. But yeah, regardless, like, it's a crazy, it's a bizarre, like, scene and kind of the height of cool at the time or whatever. So this song is about those parties, right? It's about all the crazy shit that would happen at these parties. Another thing is, I don't think Andy Warhol ever came out or anything like that, but he was gay and he accepted people that were gay or anything in between transsexuals and just we drug addicts junkies weirdos like all sort like of all kinds outcasts of all kinds like ended up there made it there and were part of it and they made a lot of really cool things and what's another interesting thing is warhol got shot in 1968 like he almost died so a deranged sort of hanger on <laughs> of the whole scene showed up and shot him and then, did not so, know that. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a, there was actually a movie made about that called I Shot Andy Warhol, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so then after that, he chilled out um, a lot. He retreated from like how public he was. I think by the 80s, he basically was like a, a recluse. But there was this time, and so to me, like the Velvets are like one of the most famous sort of products of this factory. There was this time when they were the center of everything that was like avant-garde culture. And what I love about the factory in Warhol and all that stuff is like the aesthetic to me is really interesting because it takes a lot of the ideas and craft of like high art and brings it to whatever you want to call low art. So that it brings it into like rock and roll and making movies and sex and, and you know <laughs> yeah it it, ha it it takes high art and adds a little bit of like exploitation to it 
And so like for me, that's always been something that's interesting to me because I didn't grow up listening to classical music or appreciating like paintings and, and art. Like I didn't, I didn't, I grew up with low art, I, comic books, like, and loud ass music and shit like that. And so to me, it just, it's like, it's, it provides a way to examine this kind of shit in a way that like is cool and interesting to me, right? Yeah. It, yeah, even, this, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I, this, this album is, it's like easily one of the more influential pieces of rock and roll, but also one of the most non-standard pieces of rock and roll. This is like a whole nother branch of rock and roll that really is hard to get a piece of the outside of the Velvet Hi, Kirby. <laughs> hey, Kirby. Um, Jenny, what do you think Not of... Not a Zoom meeting without my cat's butthole. <laughs> no doubt. Um, now, little Cat, I've been calling him Mr. Poopy Butthole all day nice. for reasons you can probably figure out. Can one of you two get on that? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ours were locked up in bedrooms while I was, Oof. like beating the crap out of the ceiling and, and trying to get the, the attic stairs ready to go, so... Now they're just like wandering free and running them off. <laughs> so I have a, I have a question, I have a question for Jenny. What did you think of the last two songs? The, the Black Angels Death Song and European Sun. I was going to say, I'm really bad with names unless I've written them down. This one? Yeah. I don't love this one. Sorry. This did not make my list for a reason, um, which is it ain't for me <laughs> okay i mean like some of them definitely were like some of the songs were for me this one i don't know it was hard for me because i think of the three of us i'm less into the dissonance and the the chaos i guess i'm sure there are probably some songs that i like that have elements of this but I struggle when it's so central i think and that's just a personal press you know what i struggle when it's only this. Yeah. And that's what I love about this record. It's not. It mixes in like straight pop songs and just love songs. I don't know, man. It's, and I and love I did, that. I did. I was telling Chris, I was like, it's, it's the first listen was weird just because it was different from what I pictured in my mind, having really not that much information. So that's on me, really. <laughs> but the other thing was that I was like, it feels like I'm listening to like maybe two or three different albums because there's just there's like the the pop songs and that Nico's mostly on and then there's like the Lou Reed songs that are like the the bluesy kind of like grungy songs and then there's this other subset of like screechy things and it, I feel like there's a couple different albums but in a way it's cool that they just threw them all together because then you get that. There's something to be said for not being too predictable. Do you hear like any Dylan here? Because I do. I do. <laughs> I do. But I should maybe have disclosed that I'm not a fan of Dylan for that all <laughs> At all? reason. At all? Straight up? No. Okay. I'm going to put this. Okay. I take that back. There is one Dylan song that I really like. And I'm struggling to remember the name of it, but apart from that one song, nah, not my thing. Alright, I'm gonna add yeah. something to the after party that will hopefully be like, okay, that's the second that's the second Dylan song that I like. Like the lyrical content of this it's very clear Lou Reed poetry song. Yes. And 
Yeah, I think it works. I think it works particularly because there's that like violin whine behind him, and it's yes. really also just like two chords of a guitar. It, and yeah, this is a, it's a strange track, but it works so much better than European Sun. European Sun is good. I, I like European Sun as like as well, but I prefer this over that because. European Sun falls apart. Like it becomes so jammy and dissonant that it falls apart. What do you think? So this, because this is a weird song to me, because the very beginning of this kind of jams like an R&B song. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like an old R&B song, and it's cool. And then it goes off into the fucking I don't know where. It yeah, just takes I, I think if it would have, if the arrangement would have been a little bit different, I could, I could handle European Sun a little bit better. But having it butt against the other track is just, it's a little much. By the time European Sun lets loose, I've, I've had about all I can take of it. The one thing I do like about this is the the bass. Man, that bass is just traveling hardcore. So this part, I actually am not that, not that, uh, I'm actually pretty okay with this part. I, li I like it all. Like, I love the guitar playing on here. It sounds so fucking weird. It's like weirdly like surfy a little. Yeah. <laughs> they get a lot of that on this album. There's They do a lot of that like reverbed out, high register, kind of a lot of pick noise. It's it, it's interesting how much of that shows up. Yeah, yeah. De definitely, this is probably, I think, the hardest song on the record. This is the hard one, I think. I think even Black uh, Black Angel's death song, I think it, it's short, and then like when you get what it is, I think you can wrap your head around it. This song, there's just like all kinds of feedback and yeah. weird drumming, like slowing down and speeding up, and and then the guitar playing gets out of control, just starts like just just like yeah. that. So, so I think this is probably the toughest one. I don't know. I don't know if I can defend it exactly. It's just, it's, I don't think anything else sounded like it at the time. No, I don't think anybody else is putting this kind of stuff on, on an album. I'm sure plenty of it was happening live, but nobody was putting this on an album. Okay, does like a band like Sonic Youth exist without this, this like record? I don't think so. Or... No, I, I think that like Sonic Youth has that Velvet Underground sound updated, for sure. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, the song inspired the German experimental rock band Can, which, I don't know if you know anything about Krautrock, but it makes sense. Like, just the German rock from the 70s. I think, yeah, I don't know that there is much to, much more to say that, I guess, it's all context, right? Like, I remember hearing this like these songs a lot at parties where there were lots and lots of crazy shit going on. And I feel hearing the song Stone Cold Sober and hearing the song like fucked up and with crazy shit going on around you is it are diff very different experiences. Very different. For me like Sunday morning should be at the end, but what the hell do I know? Like to me this is like the crescendo of the party. 
right? <laughs> this is the crescendo of the party, and then, and then you wake up the next morning very regretful and sad. Like, lots and lots of fucked up things happened that you're not... So, in my cuts, I tried to... So I made two cuts. I made a, like I said, I made a sweet cut and I made a death cut. And then the sweet cut is, like, the idea with the sweet cut is, like, it starts with There She Goes Again, right? Where it's like this girl that's, like, tormenting you because she's, like, sleeping around. That sort of feeling, right? Then femme fatale, like, she's just playing you. Then... I'll be your mirror is like confessing your love despite like how fucked up they are. All tomorrow's parties is you go to the party, you go to the party together and you do crazy things and fucked up things and then Sunday morning you have regrets, right? To me like, I tried to get the piece, different pieces and tried to like maybe tell some kind of story. <laughs> like to me like the death cut begins with I'm waiting for the man because you're trying to score, you're trying to score, you're trying to score, you're trying to score, right? It's everything's fucked up, you're trying to score, like you're running around, your guy's late, you know, like always you have to sit around, you have to fucking be in a place you don't like to be in. Right? Then you get high, then you die, then you eulogize the dead. <laughs> Right? It's the whole process, yeah. <laughs> right? I don't know. Anyway, I was trying trying to pull out, like, stories from here. Uh, do you guys... Have you guys read... Have you guys read this book by William Burroughs called Junkie? Yeah, when we were in high school. <laughs> Jenny, I highly recommend it for a couple of reasons. One, it's one of the easiest things to read that Burroughs is, has written. Yeah, right? It's really straightforward. Yeah, so it's no naked lunch. It's no cut up stuff where one sentence like begins one way and ends the other way. And it's written pretty straight, but it's about it's basically loosely autobiographical about being a morphine addict in the early '60s. It, it's kind of like reading a Bukowski book. It's it's really crazy and intense, and so like to me like that's like a perfect backdrop to this record, right? Like. You read that, and then you listen to this record, it all kind of makes sense. I haven't actually read anything not for work in years, <laughs> literal uh, years. Should, you should fix it. Yeah, up. no, it's I should, but there's only 24 hours in, in my day, and I can only I can only fit so much shit into them. It is what it is. Yeah. It's a struggle to make time for this, let alone. Uh, right. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna start a book podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jenny. Uh, Jenny, you, do you, you understand that there's more than more homework than listening? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, can do. Listen. I, I okay. I take that back. The one thing I pulled up to read that was not for work was still a legal opinion on Westlaw. I pulled up the, we watched the Trial of the Chicago 7 the other night. Oh, and cool. So then I got on Westlaw and pulled up the opinion that actually came out of the Seventh Circuit reversing and sending it back and read through that. So even when I'm reading for entertainment, it's still freaking legal opinion. Well, Sorry. No, Sorry. hey, man, look, man, it, 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 it takes all different kinds of folks. But hypothetically, one day I'll have free time again. And I'll <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah, when we go on our when we when we go on our right. post-COVID fuck the world trip, bring it along with you. I will. Okay, what else? Let's see here, Ryan. I think. I mean, mine's pre mine's pretty straightforward. Like, yeah, I, I I will say "Run Run" is my sweater song. Okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. All right. Explain. 
I, it's my sweater song because it's, I think, your story about your daughter, like, loving it so much. Right. Proves that, like, it's just really, it's the catchiest song on the album, I think. It's mm-hmm. the most fun song on the album. Um, yeah. If, is there is a, is would this be the song that you would cover if like you had to cover one of these songs? So this would be a fun song to cover part of in the process of playing other things live. Like this is I don't know if it would be fun to cover from start to finish, but if you were playing live and whether it be between songs or like in the middle of a bigger song, you start working in run run. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So my thought is, no, you're right. You're right though about my. You're right though about like that. There is something like simple. It's bouncy. It's a bouncy song. This is not a bouncy album. This is a bouncy song. Um, Yeah. Then you listen to the lyrics, and then you're like, "Wow, that shit is really fucking depressing, man." Yeah. 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 She's trying to get a fix. She wasn't well. She. This would be a difficult song to cover, right? Like, the timing is a little weird, like, actual progression in the song is a little strange. In terms of getting, like, a one-to-one cover, it would be a difficult thing to cover. It it does, like other Velvet Underground songs, lends itself to just going nuts and doing whatever you want with it. That's interesting. I was looking for covers of these songs for the after party, and there's some... I have one. It, they're, like I, the ones at least I listened to for the most part were like pretty terrible. Like I was just like, yeah. "Wow, this is bad. I don't like this." I, I shared I shared a Nirvana cover that's like what you would expect oh, from Nirvana. Cover. Right? Yeah. It's kind of it's interesting to hear them. Ooh, oh. ooh, that's which cool. is it's funny because until I listened to this album, I did not know it was a Velvet Underground song. I thought it was a Big Star song. The more you all know. I've ever heard, yeah. Um, nice, nice to see he, you. You've got Fat White Family in that. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's great. It was the shiny leather that actually reminded me of that, and I think it's worth uh, worth spending some time. So listen, yeah, but Big Star's version of Femme Fatale is very, he doesn't take liberties with it. It's very faithful to the original. It's yeah. nothing wild. If I had to cover one of these songs, I think it would be I'll Be Your Mirror for me. It's like, I would, um, it, it's pretty, it's just pure and perfect. Yeah, I, I think that would be like a nice choice, but I would really like to do Sunday Morning because I feel like just the potential for something really dreamy is, yes. is huge and nice. I would love to do that. In fact, yeah. I might just go hit my piano after this and just stick around <laughs> a little bit. That'd be awesome. Okay, wait, hold on. Okay, my free bird is heroin. <laughs> yeah, different podcast. Yeah, again, I think it's more just of, it's the it's like the epic sort of summation of the record, right? Like it's it's big and it goes crazy places and it also like I said that line like it just and I just and I feel like I just don't know. It just nails what it is to be like high and pathetic. And I can speak from memory on that one. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we probably all can on some level. I think my sweater song is Sunday morning because I felt like that song is very catchy and like the lyrics are probably like the least consequential of the whole record. 
Like they're it's they're fine, but like I run through like the whole like tra- like I run through like the whole like track list. I'm waiting for the man is a crazy story about trying to score. Maybe Femme Fatale, although Femme Fatale has some really great lines. So Femme Fatale has that line, you're number 37, have a look, right? Yeah. I love that line. <laughs> I love how specific it is. Look, see? <laughs> you're just another fucking dope for her. And, and also, I read this, I don't know if this is true, I read this on the internet, so, grain of salt. But apparently, Kevin Smith in Clerks Remember she, the, his girlfriend had sucked 37 dicks? <laughs> Apparently, he may have gotten the 37 from, the, from Femme Fatale. They're just coming 37! Right, yeah. And then Venus and Furs with all the S&M stuff. Run Run has all the different stories. I don't know. I just felt like, yeah, that, that may have been like the song that had the least. It's one of my favorite songs. There's no doubt. Yeah. I remember yeah, yeah. listening to that, this record the first time and hearing the song and being like, what is that? That's cool, right? Shit, what else do we have to cover? Let's we can let's let's rate this guy. My headphones are about to die, so the audio quality is gonna change significantly. Okay. Alright. Okay. So, um Yeah, let's talk some let's talk some rating. Okay, let's do it. Um, oh I guess this is your album. Okay, okay, I can start first. Jenny, do you want to posit a free bird or a sweater song? It was hard to do only because I feel like like the sweater song is usually like the for me I, and I know there's different ways to interpret this and even I have interpreted these different ways for different albums yeah. but I'm usually yeah, looking haven't... for like the one that's goofiest and to me that's run I think I agree with Liz in that respect mm-hmm. but I also feel like lots of these songs like when you get down like underneath like the surface goofiness or like like dark and horrifying so yeah. I was like I don't know if there's a sweater song here yeah um, and then the free bird similarly was hard because I was like okay if I were doing it on subject matter which is usually sometimes how I go to it I think I've ended up picking on subject matter more often than I have sonically mm-hmm. um, for the free bird I would go with I think I'd go with femme fatale probably yeah because it's just maybe femme fatale because it's got that same issue of just like things are going awry for sure like things aren't great but maybe subject matter wise but i wouldn't pick that for a sonic freebird it's like not that's very different so i don't know okay it's hard it was hard on this one because i feel like these songs are so mixed yep okay look if i'm gonna give one record five stars it's gonna be this one it's gonna be this one and I'm sensitive to the fact that there's a lot of people that they rate this record just like off a of reputation or something. And just the fa- just like the reality is, if I think about all the music, if I think about the music that I listen to now, there's like the seeds of basically all of it or m- much of it here. This is where a lot of it like starts. Right? All the lo-fi shit. All the, like, to me, like, the Ariel Pinks of the world. Like, even, and even, like, the garage, some of the garage rock stuff, like, a lot of the weirdness in that starts here. The content of it, like, being a lot more about the lowlifes and the junkies and the outcasts. Of course, that's gonna appeal to me always. This record, I'm gonna... So there's a really great YouTube video 
uh, about MF Doom, or it's Most Deaf, who's one of my, you know, one of my favorite rappers from back in the day, talking about MF Doom, and he's he's doing a bunch of his like he's doing a bunch of his his rapping his lyrics and talking about how crazy good they are, clever, and just being like, man, this guy's amazing or whatever. And at one point he says, he says that MF Doom raps like as weird as I feel. And I feel like this record is weird as I, as weird as I feel. Like it really just, it, it, you know, like, yeah. So that, that, yeah, that said, all that said, it's, this is my five star. If I'm going to give something five stars, it's going to have to be this one. Yeah. Yeah, not to jump in second, but I'm going to second both the as weird as I feel um, <laughs> because it runs a big gamut for me. It's a lot of different pieces of emotion throughout an album. And this, yeah, I, I feel like there's a part of me in every one of these songs. Yeah, this is a five star for me. Yeah. Like, I, the deluxe version of the album is a little disappointing because it's a lot of like, mild changes to alternate vocals right yeah 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 but like the straight up start to finish regular version of the album is a perfect album like it's there's nothing i don't like about this Um, it's weird it's melodic it's weirdly melodic it's yeah it's great yeah i'm in general i'm a in general i'm a proponent of the weird as I feel vibe I've got God knows I've got plenty of weird albums that I feel that way about so I appreciate that about this that it's different and that it's doing whatever the fuck without regard to what's what it maybe should be or people might expect and I I give it points for that big points for that I think that there are my like my cut of the songs I really liked are songs I really and I think they did them really well. There are definitely the other half I didn't love personally, but that's fine. Not everything is for everybody. I'd give it a three probably. I think between yeah, I think that's fair. I think three's fair. Okay. It was a good listen. It was an initially a little bit weird, but once I got into it, it was. I'm glad that we did this, and I really the stuff that is good. I really liked. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got you. It's crazy to me that that this didn't <laughs> pass by your radar before, but at the same time, you've got a big catalog of music, so it's not for the fact that you don't listen to a lot of variety of things. I think it's yeah. great that this was your way into listening to this album. For the first time. Uh, so, like, that's cool. I feel I like mean, if, so many, so many things. I guess you got for me. So now you guys have had the opportunity to return the favor. Um, I, I think. I think just even for context, right? Even just for context of just stuff that's out now and stuff that came out back then. It's just. I think it's an important part of the story of at least American pop music. It's, it's like if you got if like if in law school there were books you had to read, right? Yeah. Right, like there were it's just like, if you're gonna be a lawyer, like you gotta read X yeah, book, yeah, yeah. Y book, right? Yeah. Okay, it's to me. It's, I feel like the, I feel that way about this one. Now, I'm not yeah. trying to compare it to required reading at law school. I think it's a lot more fun than that. But again, I don't know. You tell me, Jenny. Um, it depends, man. Uh, there's a reason I'm a, I'm in criminal law because criminal law is fun. Some of the opinions you read is just you get to. Re- relive some really crazy day in someone's life that like should never happen. Right, yeah, no, so good point. It depends. 
Good point. But okay. Yeah. No, this is this is historically significant, and I think it's it, I think that it's weird how I guess we all probably, and this is an artifact of growing up I think in the time and place that we did, which means that unlike today, then whether or not you got exposed to something you should have, sometimes came down to like just sheer luck. Like I somehow managed to not come into contact with this all that time. I don't know how. But it happened. There's probably other stuff. This should be on, should be on everyone's syllabus to visit for sure, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 